right, well, let's dig right in. The message is called this, plan to do the will of God. Plan to do the will of God. Our text is James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Okay, but you could turn in your Bibles to James 4, 13 to 17 and read your translation as I'm reading this one. But it says this, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while and then it's gone. And what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. You see, when a believer is out of the will of God, it becomes a troublemaker. That's not a good place to be at. Because God has called us to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. Nothing could be more wrong with a follower of Christ who becomes a troublemaker. This message that I put together here is intended to help us to plan ahead to do the will of God so that we can be peacemakers for the Lord. I want to quote Warren Wiersbe, who is the author of the book called Be Mature, which is a commentary on James, which we are gathering all of our material from for this series, the majority of it, the outlines and the, and the subject matters as it breaks down. Uh, and I want to quote Warren Wiersbe right now. That God would have a plan for each of our lives is an obvious truth. He is a God of wisdom and knows what ought to happen and when it should occur. And as a God of love, he must desire the very best for his children. Too many Christians look at the will of God as bitter medicine that they must take instead of seeing it as the gracious evidence of the love of God. I want you to contemplate that and think about that for a moment. We have an all-wise God. He knows what is best. And we have a loving Heavenly Father who loves us. And so His will is based out of His knowing all and knowing what our life was destined to be, and then out of his love, he shares with us and prods us to the ways that he would like us to take, because he knows what is best for us. Our God is wise, and our God is loving. The will of God is the gracious evidence of the love of God. And if you're taking notes, and I, I do encourage you to take notes so that you can kind of go over this again and and study it further and learn a little bit more. But if you're taking notes, write that down. I'm just going to repeat it for you. The will of God is the gracious evidence of the love of God. Knowing this, therefore, the safest place to be at any given time in our life is in the will of God. The safest place to be is in the will of God. This passage in James points out three responses that we can have to the will of God. James was likely looking at the wealthy business people, successful business people of the church, and he was looking at them and he was really coming up with warnings for them to share with them. You are wealthy, you are secure, you have all this confidence and you have all this 
boasting. You, you, we see that you trust uh, in the things that you have built. And so James was talking to them mainly in this passage in James 4, and it's a warning to us. Why? Because Americans, listen, James is talking directly to us. The average American is among the most wealthiest of all people in the world. Think about that. All right. So even the poorest among us is very wealthy compared to a majority of the world. And if James was speaking to the wealthy people uh, among the poor people of the church in Jerusalem, then surely he can speak to us through James and through the Holy Spirit as God told James to write these things down. The Holy Spirit speaks to us across all of the years, even now to our very present. He speaks to you and he speaks to me because we are very blessed. But with that blessing, can become we become boastful and presumptuous. And we need to be very careful about this. So let's dive in. What are these three responses that we can have to the will of God? The first one is this, ignoring the will of God. I want to reiterate what James 4, 13 and 14 and then verse 16 said. In 13, he said, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here just a little while and then it is gone. Verse 16, otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. James presents four arguments in this, just these few verses for the foolishness of ignoring God's will. The first one is really just the complexity of life. In verse 13, he talked about today or tomorrow and, and, and talking about what you're going to do and how you're going to stay there and here and, and do business and make a profit. And we start talking about our plans for tomorrow. But listen, life is complex, isn't it? We never really know what a day is going to bring. I mean, this is sort of an obvious point. Look at 2020. Did any of us think that we would be in the middle of a pandemic in 2020 with all of this chaos and all of this craziness going on around us? And it's not just the United States. It's the entire world. We're all going through this on the planet. So, I mean, did we think of that? Life is so unpredictable and complex. I don't think any of us could say with 100% guarantee anything. The second thing is just that uncertainty. In 14a, it said, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? That's a valid question. How do you know? You can't say that. How many times have we just went ahead and said, ah, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do this next year. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And we sort of live our life, but we don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. This is based on Proverbs 27.1. James got these ideas from the Old Testament. It said this in Proverbs 27.1, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. So don't brag about it. I like this because it's like the Lord is telling us, you know, don't be so confident uh, in your own plans because God's plans, sometimes they take us to unexpected places. How many of you lived a life like that where God there was all these twists and turns in life. And you know what? It's it's fun, too, because then you, you realize, you know, it's not my will I'm following. It's really God's will I'm following and I desire after. So just know life is uncertain. This attitude reminds us of the farmer in the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. Let me read to you that parable. Verse 16. Then he told them a story. 
a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. You know what? Here he goes talking about a rich man again. Well, he might as well be talking to us Americans. He said to himself, uh, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I like how the guy in the story calls himself friend. <laughs> but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Whew, that's the zinger, isn't it? Man, you could have all the wealth in the world. You could have big barns filled with treasures. You could have bank accounts. You could have savings accounts and checking accounts and all kinds of stocks and all kinds of investments. You could feel pretty secure in all of that. But a person is a fool just to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He tells us it's so important, our relationship with God. I'd rather not have any wealth and have a rich relationship with God than to have all the money in the world and earthly security, but have no eternal security, no heavenly security in Christ Jesus. Life is not uncertain to God. Remember that. God, it's not. He's all wise. He's all knowing. Life is not uncertain to God, but it is uncertain to us. And so we must remain in his will to have the confidence that we need to face tomorrow because we know that he is leading us. So friends, I would say if you follow Jesus, stay close to Jesus have a rich relationship with Jesus so that you can have the confidence to face whatever tomorrow brings. Some of you are going through difficulties right now or uncertainties right now. Maybe you've made some changes in your life, maybe some big ones. Maybe it's a career, maybe you lost your job, or maybe you've changed churches, or maybe you've, uh, you know, maybe you've come down with COVID-19 and you're just watching this and you're just uncertain about what's happening. So, you know, some of you have done that. I would encourage you to press in to Jesus Christ, press into your relationship, make sure that that is rich. And then God will give you confidence. He will help you and you'll be able to face anything that comes tomorrow. The best and safest place to be is in the will of God. Don't forget that. The third thing is the brevity of life. It talks in 14, the second part of the verse, your life is like the morning fog. Uh, it's here a little while and then it's gone. Boy, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Sometimes life feels so long, like we're going through things for so long, but yet really when we, we look back, we also look at the years and go, how did it go by so fast? Life is like the morning fog. It's like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. James is borrowing imagery from the book of Job when he says this. Uh, Job talked a lot about life and its brevity. He said this in Job 7, 6, my days fly faster than a weaver's shuttle. In Job 7, 9, he says, just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. Job 8, 9, our days on earth are as fleeting as a shadow. Job 9, 25, my life passes more swiftly than a runner. Uh, 
And he referred here to the royal couriers that hastened in their missions. They were pretty quick on their feet. Job 9.26 says, It disappears like a swift papyrus boat, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. I don't have any clue what either one of those things is like, but it sounds pretty fast. Okay, and then Job 14 verses 1 and 2, he says, How frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. Man, Job used a lot of imagery about how quickly things change, how, how fast life goes, how quickly we disappear. The only, the only illustration I can think of recently about fast is, is really Pastor Ricosi. <laughs> Pastor Ricosi and I were talking about his running times when he was in high school. And uh, I used to run cross country. And lately I've been running some 5Ks. And, and I said to Pastor Ricosi, if I can get back down to my times that I ran in cross country 3.1 mile races, you know, if I could get back down into those times, that would be phenomenal if I could do that in my, my age now. Uh, and Pastor was telling me about the times he used to run. And I'm like, Man, he was he was running like uh, four minute miles and smoking fast. So I mean, I'm like, man, that is incredible. Uh, and so he would be a great illustration here. My days fly faster than a Rikosi runner. <laughs> okay, all right. Another way to drive this point home is that we number our lives in years, but God tells us to number our days. Think about that, days. The Lord is always reminding us of the brevity of life. He's given us a great gift to live, but we count our days because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And every day we get to live is a gift from God and an opportunity to do the will of God. Remember, what you do in the will of God will also determine reward in heaven. So this is so important. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life, the psalmist said so that we may grow in wisdom. Because life is so short, we have to be careful not to simply spend our lives. How many know what I'm talking about? You work every day. You work hard. You give and you pour out. And sometimes that's all we're doing is spending ourselves. But that's only one part of the equation. We shouldn't certainly waste our lives, right? Don't waste it doing things that won't count and won't matter. But instead, there's a better way than just spending it or wasting it. And the better way is investing our lives. Investing for the kingdom of God. Probably some of the best investments you can make is with the people who are closest to you. The people that God has placed in your life, your family, your close friends your spouse, a sibling, a child, a grandchild. These are the best investments that you can probably make in the kingdom of God because these investments are about you sharing the love of God, sharing your experiences in your relationship with God, with your family, and instilling them, instilling in them that same desire for a relationship with God. You show them how in love with Jesus you are and how good God has been to you. And you tell them those stories because they will remember those things. And even if they're doing their own thing right now and maybe it don't seem like they're listening, they are listening and they are watching. And that is an incredible investment. And then beyond your family and beyond your close friends, 
You know, God has given us a mission, hasn't he? He's given us the ambassadorship. We are to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're to be the light and the salt on the earth. And we're to take this flame of the gospel of Jesus to the whole world, just like we're doing right now with this video as it goes out across the internet around the world. And we share the love of Jesus and we invest in even strangers to say, here is the gospel. And we give it to them and allow them to choose if they will believe, if they will surrender, and if they will follow to Jesus. And if they do, that's an amazing decision that they will make, the best decision they'll ever make in their life. And that seed can begin to grow. So the fourth thing is the frailty of man, he points out when it comes to ignoring the will of God. In verse 16, it says, otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. You see, man cannot control future events. He has neither the wisdom to see the future nor the power to control the future. For him to boast is sin. It is making himself God. We can't make ourselves God. We can't boast because we don't know. God does know. So we have to trust in him. To ignore the will of God is like trying to navigate an underground cave system without a guide. Who would do that? That would be very foolish. Or sail through a stormy sea without a compass. That would be crazy. Or trek through a jungle without a map. If we did that, we would surely get lost. We would perish. We would be sorry that we ever tried that. We need God and his will. We need his leading by the power of the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our compass, to be our map. We must stay close to him. We need the Holy Spirit. So would you call out on the Holy Spirit? Call the Holy Spirit every day. Say, God, Holy Spirit, fill me. God, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me, direct me. Holy Spirit, speak into my heart and let me know whether I should go right or left or straight ahead. Let me know, Jesus, and you will do well. All right, the second position we can take concerning the will of God after ignoring the will of God is just simply disobeying God's will. James chapter 4, 17 talks about this. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now here, James is talking to believers. He's saying, believers, you've heard the commands of the Lord. You've heard the precepts of God. You've been taught the word of God. You know what the right thing to do is, but yet you do not do it. This is a sin. So it's not necessarily sin being something that you shouldn't do, but this is sin to not do the things you know you should do. How important this lesson is, just in this one verse, verse 17 of James 4. So this attitude, this attitude of disobeying God's will is worse than ignoring God's will. They know what's right, but they would prefer not to do it. Of these people, Peter writes this in 2 Peter 2.21. It says, it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. In other words, God, he, it's not something that God desires for us. It's not something that God is pleased with about us to know his will and then reject it and not do it. People do this for a couple of reasons, of course. One, mainly pride. Mainly pride. Pride is a big problem in humanity. Pride may be a big problem in your life, in my life. In fact, I believe probably every human being has a pride problem at some level. 
and we need to humble ourselves before God. But the second reason why people may just prefer not to do the will of God is maybe even a misunderstanding of the will of God. Maybe they don't understand what it is. You see, God's will is not an option to accept it or reject it. It is an obligation to obey. That's God's will. So when we hear the right thing to do, it's not about, oh, I'll accept that or I'll reject that. And then it's my opinion versus God's opinion. No, God's will is an obligation to obey. The third is that some have mistaken the will of God to be a formula for misery. We touched on that already just a little bit. But the opposite is true. Listen, it's not a drag to serve Jesus. It's not misery to serve Jesus. The exact opposite is true. When you're out of the will of God, that's when you become miserable. That's, you know, you may have pleasure in sin for a season, but it never lasts that long. Nobody's really truly having a party in hell, okay? It's it's pleasure for a season, but it's quickly gone. Heartache follows very soon after, even in this lifetime, especially in this lifetime. There's a lot of hell on earth right now. People have major regrets for the decisions they've made. They've made a wreck of their life. It's never fun to be out of the will of God. But in God's will, there is joy. In God's will, there is pleasure. It's not always roses and it's not always easy, but there is always joy doing the will of God. And the reward for the future is sure. You can be sure that God will reward those who righteously obey him. Disobeying God's will may not seem like a serious thing right now, but it will be someday. We have to say that in this message to be clear in case anyone is listening and thinking, you know, I'm going to disobey or do my thing. But here's what God's word says in Colossians 3, 23 to 25. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong that you have done. For God has no favorites. That's an important message. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a pastor like me, or you could be a truck driver. You could be a nurse. You could be a lawyer. You you could be a Walmart employee. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, what your skin color is. It doesn't matter any of those things. God has no favorites. He simply rewards those who respond to his will and those who do not do his will. He says that he will pay back for all the wrongs that we have done. And God is the judge. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He does not base his standard of holiness on popular culture and popular opinions. God's will is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Okay, the third attitude, the third position to take concerning the will of God, of course, is obeying God's will. And James talks about that in verse 15. He says, what you ought to say is this, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. I love this because it is good to have plans. In fact, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? We always hear that. God blesses plans. You have to have plans. But those plans have to be based squarely in the word of God. They have to line up with God's standards, and they have to line up with what we know that God has said is good. 
God prepared in advance for us to do good works. And when we follow him, we will begin to plan. Those things will be revealed to us and we will plan. But our attitude, James says, is also important in this. He says our attitude ought to be if the Lord wants us to. Remember the apostle Paul, as he was planting churches all across the Roman Empire, even he had this attitude when it came to the churches. He had plans to plant churches, but at one point he even said, if the Holy Spirit Spirit tells us to go a different direction, we have to obey the Spirit. So even though I planned to come to you here, he sent us over there. So Paul, even though he planned to do good things, he knew that the Holy Spirit had the authority that God's will was more important than his will, even to do good things. And I think we all need to remember that. So instead of just being confident in our own plans, even in the church, even as pastors and leaders and servants of the Lord, we have to be careful not to just be confident in our own plans, even when they're good. We have to take the attitude to say, if the Lord allows, if God wants us to, then this is what we plan to do. But we'll see how God leads. And that's the way we've got to take the attitude. Uh, So in other words, the will of God is the beat of our heart. We have to make it the beat of our heart. We, uh, We plan ahead to do the will of God. The Apostle Paul considered the will of God to be like a key, not a set of shackles. It opened doors and it set him free. He wrote in Romans Uh, chapter one, verse 10, he wrote this to the Romans. He said, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. What a wonderful thing that he would be able to go see the Romans, okay, and see the believers there. But look, look at this. He said, God willing, I pray for that opportunity. In other words, if God opens the door, if it's his will, it'll be a blessing. I'll come and see you. He wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 7. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit. He told about his heart's desire. I don't want to be just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. God's will came first, even though what he was saying would be a blessing. And if God lets him, that's a key that opens a blessing and a wonderful door, right? God's will was always a first consideration to the Apostle Paul. Even as he would write these things, he was teaching the priority of obedience to God's will. Will you and I, hearing this teaching, decide that we too will make obedience to God's will a priority in our life? Even as we plan to do good things, let's plan to yield to the Spirit's leadings and the Spirit's promptings. We must get to know God more. In order for this to work, we must learn to trust God more. This must lead to obedience, which will lead to understanding God more. Why is understanding God more so important? Listen, to know God, we get to know his heart, okay? And we get to then trust God. It's kind of like when we were children, and I remember so many times my dad would say, do this or do that or don't do this or I want you to do this. And what was the thing we always said as a, ch- as a child? At least I did because I, I was just one of those kids, right? But I always say, why? 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 I, I was always asking my dad to explain to me his thinking all the time. And I know this annoyed my father and I got a few spankings because of it because he just wanted me to obey him and not question him. I think Pastor Ricozzi's even done that to me. I've asked him why. No, I'm just kidding. But I, just obey. 
just to trust and obey. How many know sometimes we just have to obey God? But when we get to know God, we get to understand the why, because that's who God is. He reveals to us his heart. He reveals to us in his word the why. It's because he loves his creation. He loves them. Why should you be patient and kind? Why should you share the gospel with people that you might even consider your enemy? Ask Jonah. This was God because he loved them. He was willing that none would perish. Jonah had to just be obedient and do it, even though he wasn't happy about it. So God, he tells us the why, and that's about getting to know God and understanding him. The closer you are to God, the more you will understand not only what God is doing, but why he is doing it. It's like playing a musical instrument. How many of you play an instrument? Maybe you play the piano or maybe you play the guitar or you used to play a flute or a trombone or a saxophone. I think that's our, Pastor Arlene's favorite instrument is the saxophone. My wife likes a good saxophone as well. Well, when I first started learning to play the trumpet when I was in fourth grade, uh, my parents bought me that trumpet, and because it was an investment, they wanted me every single day to practice that instrument. But they did not want me to practice the instrument in the house, and for good reason. I was hurting their ears. So my mother used to make me go way out back, and we called it the big rock in the field. There was this giant boulder far from the house, and she would make me go out there and sit on that big rock and just play the horn every day. I had to play that trumpet. And I had to learn the notes. I had to learn the embouchure, the mouth, and how to, how to blow into that mouthpiece. I had to learn the mechanics of the trumpet and how to hold it correctly and how to, how to put my fingers on the valves. I had to learn that. And as I was learning it, I learned all these mechanics. I learned how to read the music and what those musical notes were called and how they were presented on a chart and how I could read the chart and all the time, uh, all the time signatures and everything else. I had to learn those things. That was just mechanics. But eventually, I had to learn to feel the music. And that's when I really began to play. It wasn't just the mechanics, but it was about feeling it. And probably one of the best ways I learned was actually in church. Uh, you know, I played so much in school. I got awards in school. I played in band and all those things. But then when I was 15 years old, I got saved and I started playing the trumpet at church. And at my home church up in northern Maine, they did not have music. They didn't play. They didn't practice with music. It was way old school. But we played by ear. We played by feeling the music, and I learned how to do that, and that actually enhanced my jazz band experience as well, but I had to feel the music, and that's the way it is with God as well. When you get to know God, you get to really understand his heart, and you might learn the rules when you're a child, but then you begin to grow up, and it's like you feel the music. You feel what God's heartbeat is, and you begin to really connect with God and live your life in the will of God. And that's what we're trying to do. Grow up into maturity. Feel the heartbeat of God. Be an ambassador of the heartbeat of God, the will of God. And that will impact the people around us. So tonight we're wrapping up this teaching. I know I've gone just a few minutes over the half hour mark, but I want to ask you, where do you stand concerning the will of God? Have you been ignoring the will of God? Have you been disobeying the will of God? 
Have you been obeying the will of God? And if you've been obeying, at what stage are you at? Are you still learning the mechanics? Have you gotten to the place where you can feel, you begin to understand God's heartbeat? Wherever you are in any of those things, God wants to connect with you right where you are right now as you're watching this video. God wants to touch your life. And I just want to say a prayer for you as we get ready to go. And I want to challenge you to begin to get to know God better, to yield yourself to the will of God and being obedient to God's leading. Instead of being so boastful about your own plans, start every day saying, Lord, I want to do good things for you. I plan to do these things. But if it's your will, Lord, lead me. Lead me and guide me. I plan to do these things, but I yield to you. Use me how you wish. I pray that we could all come to that kind of decision.